0: Alright, open up to... Well, we're going to be hitting a bunch of different verses tonight, but let's start off in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Alright, so... What we're doing, like we've said, for the next few weeks is uh, looking at statements that, that maybe are accredited to being in the Bible, but, but aren't really there. Seven statements that, that people say are from Scripture, but, but really are not. Last week, we looked at the idea of when people say uh, heaven gained an angel when someone passes away. Uh, we looked at why what we have as being a son and daughter in Christ uh, is, is far better than anything that could come with being an angel. And and honestly, in reality, if someone uh, believed that uh, they got a a harp and a halo and a set of wings once they got to heaven, ultimately that's not going to impact their faith here on earth. What's going to happen is once they get to heaven, they'll realize, oh, I was wrong. This is so much greater than what I'd expected. But... One, we still want to have a right belief, so I'm not trying to downplay it, but what I want us to see is tonight, the the statement that we're looking at, if we have a a wrong view of this, if we cling to this, this false statement, then it really can impact someone's faith in a negative way while they are here on earth. And so our statement that we're looking at tonight is that God will never give you more than you can handle. Now, typically, much like the one we just looked at last week, this is used uh, when someone is grieving. Maybe, uh, maybe they're going through a difficult time in life. Maybe they've lost someone. Maybe they've been hit with sickness or, or loss of a job. Whatever it is, the situations, the circumstances of life the trials of life, have just kind of hit them heavy. And so uh, we might come along and say, hey, you know, uh, you can get through this. Uh, God will never give you more than you can handle. And kind of the thought behind this is, look, you're strong enough. God's not going to give you more than you can handle. God thinks you're strong enough. Uh, You can do this. You can get through this. Uh, You can power your way. You're going to, to push through, and you're going to make it through just fine. So what we're going to see tonight is that this is not necessarily a a biblical idea. So let me go ahead and just pray for us, and then we're just going to jump into a bunch of different scripture and kind of see really what God's uh, response to this is, and really what God's response or God's purpose for trials in our life is. So let's pray. Father God, we come before you now. Thank you for this time that you've given us. Father God, I pray that as we study your word, uh, God, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to your truth. And Father God, I pray that you would speak, and God, I pray that we would listen. Uh, and Father God, I pray that you would be glorified in this, uh, and Father God, that we would just be challenged uh, and, and firmed up in our faith, in our beliefs. So Jesus' name we do pray, amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians 10, 13, here's why we're starting with this verse. Because I believe this is where our false statement kind of gets its birth from. It's, it's a misinterpretation. It's a misapplication of this passage or of this verse. Now, if you jump back a couple of verses and you jump back to uh, verse 6 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul begins to talk about the Israelites and how in the Old Testament, the Israelites, the things that they went through, are an illustration for us. And, and we can look back on that to be taught some things. So let's just start in verse 6 of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is, let me just go ahead and say this, this is too why context is important. This is why we don't just cherry pick verses, but we, all, we always strive to know if we're looking at a single verse, what is surrounding that verse? What is the context of that verse? Because that has meaning, that helps define the meaning of the verse. Alright, so verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So he's talking about the Israelites. He's talking about the Israelites in the Old Testament. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. Uh, As it is written, they sat down to eat and drink and rose to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not uh, put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. We looked at that story a couple of Sunday mornings ago with the kids up here. Uh, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So he's talking about all these times when the Israelites, when they refused to go into the promised land and they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years, how their disobedience or their sin brought God's judgment or brought God's discipline upon them. So this is setting our context dealing with sin and temptation. Verse 11. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they are written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks uh, that he stands take heed lest he fall. All right, so that's kind of setting up our stage, setting our context, that this is a passage dealing with the Israelites who gave in to sin. And Paul is using them as an example, as a warning, and telling us, look, don't think that you're too uh, uh, arrogant to fall. Don't think that you're too big to fall. That, that we are all uh, capable of, of succumbing to temptation. And so this is where he moves to verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So this is a, a, a passage about sin and temptation. And this is a passage that is saying, look, whenever you enter into that, that phase in your life or that, that, that moment in your life where you're facing temptation, temptation to sin, God in His great grace and in His great mercy will provide you a way out. Your, your options are never option A, option B, and both of them are sin. You might have option A, B, C, and D, but one of those is going to be a way to obey God and follow Follow God and do what God has commanded you to do. And to be, to be who God has commanded us to be. Whenever there is temptation, God provides us a way out. God provides us an option that is choosing to follow Him. We're not slaves to sin. God has offered us up that grace that we are no longer bound to sin. Sin is no longer our master. So God in His grace, in His strength, and in His power provides us a way out of temptation. Okay? Now this is different From trials. Remember what we said. Typically when we use this statement or when this statement is used, God won't let you uh, suffer more than you can or put more on you than you can handle, it's not typically used in the area of temptation. It's usually used in the area of trials when life gets difficult. And here's the difference between temptation and trials. Temptation, the goal is to move us towards sin and away from God. That's the goal of temptation. The goal of trials is to move us closer to Jesus, trusting in Him more, to refine our faith as Peter talks about. And so, the goal of temptation is to move us away from Jesus. The goal of trials is to move us towards Jesus. This passage is talking about temptations. This passage is talking about when we face those things, that the, the, the goal of those is to lead us farther away from Jesus. God provides us a way out. God shows us grace that we are not bound to go that direction. So, what we're looking at is not temptations, but what we're looking at is trials. So, As we move on, what is the the flaw of interpreting the Scripture improperly? So we talked about, you know, if you believe that the people turn into angels when they get to heaven, uh, it's not really going to impact your faith here on earth. You'll just find out that you were wrong once you got to heaven and what you've got is so much greater. Now with this, here's our problems: if we interpret this verse wrong and we, we create this new statement that God won't give you more than you can handle. One, we misinterpret God's Word. This is never a good thing. This is never God-honoring when we take God's Word and we, we handle it wrongly. Uh, there are, are, are encouragements and warnings throughout the Bible to make sure that we are handling God's Word accurately. You know, if, if, if I say something and you someone takes it out of context to mean something different than what I said, yeah, that might upset me and, and, and yeah, that might be disrespectful to me, but ultimately, I'm just a guy. If we take God's Word and we take it out of context to make it say something that it doesn't, then not only is that misusing His Word, but that is incredibly disrespectful to to who God is. And and He's God. He's the creator of all things. He's perfect and holy. He's our Savior. And so we need to make sure that we are honoring Him and His Word as much as we can or as best as we can so we are handling God's Word as accurately as we can. That's why we talk about context. That's why we, we work on studying the Bible in a way that is respectful and keeps us kind of in the guidelines that we need to be in. All right, so one, if we misinterpret God's words. So that's one problem of interpreting this passage falsely or, or poorly or wrongly. Two, it provides a false comfort. If you tell someone, look, God's not going to put more on you than you can handle, and the Bible says something different, then what we've created is this false comfort based on this false this false view of who God is. And so we are creating this, this basically, the, this comfort based on a lie of, of what God has said and a lie based on, on, on a lie of who God is. And so it's, it's, it's not real comfort. It's not really going to draw us closer to Jesus. It's not really going to make us trust Jesus more. And so the third negative aspect of this, is and this is how it impacts us here on, on earth and in our faith, Is instead of moving us closer to God, it moves us closer to self-reliance. Think about it. When people say this, and the idea is you are strong enough, the, the, the application of this is I'm strong enough, I'm tough enough, I can do this. God thinks that I'm great and strong enough. That's why he's giving me this or putting this on me. I can do this. Typically, when this is the, the way this is applied, the focus is on me. The focus is on how strong I am. That God must think I'm super strong to go through all of this. And it's I, 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 and it's me, me, me. And instead of moving us to focusing on God more, it moves us to focus on our strength and our ability to be able to push through. And let me say this. The goal of Scripture is never for us to put our focus on ourselves. The goal of Scripture is always for us to put our focus on Him. All right. So what does the Bible say about the trials that we go through? One, they have a purpose. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. I'll give you a second. Okay, there it is. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. You can either flip there in your Bible or it's on the screen. All right, they give us a purpose. James 1, 2 through 4 says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James tells us to be uh, joyous of trials because of the purpose. And the purpose of trials is that they are to strengthen us in our faith. They are to, to mature us in our faith. I was talking to a, a guy this morning about, about growing in your faith. And I said, you know what? Uh, it's kind of like exercising. If, if I took off and I decided I wanted to start running, I might be able to run 100 feet before I'm winded, bending over with my hands on my knees. And it might take a couple of days, but after a couple of days, I can be up to 200 feet. And after a couple more days, 300 feet. And what I'm doing is through that pushing and through that trial and through that, uh, that being tired and the pain of, of having to run farther and farther and, and pushing my, my air supply is my, my lungs are getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So through those trials and through that struggling and through that uh, that, that hard time, I'm building myself up. I'm building those muscles up so that I can t- to go farther and farther and farther. In the same way, when we go through trials, when we go through those times and our faith is tested and we are being tested to make sure that our focus is on Jesus and He is the source of our strength and He's where our, our mind and our hearts are being aimed at, then as we go through those times, whether we fail and we have to confess and repent, or whether we move through without failing or without falling short of the goal that God has for us, our faith is being strengthened as long as we continue to move in the direction that God has called us to move. And the more we go through these trials, the more we go through these times, our faith is strengthened. What James says is the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness must have its perfect or its effect so that you may be perfect, and complete, lacking in nothing. That steadfastness is that, that, that perseverance that builds up in our life. That, that as we go through things, that it gives us the strength and the, and the motivation and the, and, the, and the doctrine and the theology and the understanding who God is, that we can continue to go farther and farther and farther in our faith and we don't collapse and we don't close in and we don't give up on, on what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus. So they have a Purpose. So let's look at three of the purposes of trials. Now flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. These are going to be on the screen, but if you've got your Bible, I would like you to look at them just because uh, they're good verses. It's it's good, uh, you know, sometimes even if you don't have the verses memorized, if you look at it enough, you kind of know, okay, I know it's on the left-hand side of my Bible and uh, in the second column. Maybe it just helps you kind of figure out where you're going, memorize where it's at. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses seven through ten is where we're gonna be what we're gonna read. And so uh, this, the purpose of trials, is to help us understand the source of our strength. Now, we've talked about these verses a lot uh, in here since I've been here. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Um, But uh, just to kind of recap it, Paul is talking about, uh, he is caught up into uh, the the, the heavens to see a vision, a vision that he says that is too great to to be able to tell anyone or talk about. Uh, So he has gone to heaven. He has seen this great vision. He can't tell anyone about it. And so, let's start in verse uh, 7 of chapter 12. Paul says this, "...so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, and persecution and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So here's Paul. Paul who has that God has used to, to, to raise the dead, uh, that God has used to uh, to see people healed, that God has used to cast out demons, that God has used to do all these important and powerful and incredible things. And so, after he has this vision, God sends this, this thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what this is. Maybe it's an element. There are some people that think that, it, that it's his eyesight. That ever since he had those scales on his eyes after that road to Damascus experience, that, that his eyesight was poor uh, since then. So maybe it was that. Maybe with something else. We have no idea. But Paul, who had multiple times see God do miraculous things and, and use him to do it, here he prays to God and asks God, begs God to please take away this thorn in the flesh. And God does not do so. And in this moment, God is reminding him or God is teaching him to say, look, it's in your weakness That you're strong because it's in your weaknesses, it's in these trials, it's in these difficult times, it's in these heartaches that you are reminded that it is not your strength, it's not about how strong I am, it's about how strong God is. That my strength does not come from myself. My strength does not come from my ability. My strength does not come from my, my experiences or my education. My strength comes from God himself. And so when we go through trials, these moments that are too big for us, when you lose a family member, when you lose your job, when you're absolutely left destitute, these moments drive us to recognize the source of our strength. These moments drive us to recognize that I cannot handle this. I need someone greater. I need someone bigger. I need someone stronger. So Paul says, even takes it to a next, a kind of a further extreme where he says, I will rejoice in my weaknesses because those weaknesses remind me of God's strength. So Paul says, I'll take pride, not take pride, but I will rejoice in those moments when I go through those trials and understand that I'm not strong enough to handle this. I understand that the situation that I'm being placed in, it is way too much for me to handle because then I will in turn recognize and remember that God is my source of strength. All right. Now jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 8 through 10. This is a good verse to to, to look at this because Paul is just kind of lays it out very, very bluntly, very black and white when we're thinking about this idea of God not putting more on us than we can handle. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. All right, Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Look at that sentence one more time. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. They were under such, uh, whatever it was, the trial in their life, whatever was happening was so great, it was so far beyond their ability and their strength that they thought that they were going to die, basically. Verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. We go through trials not just as a a time to remember where our strength comes from, but to, to actually practice that in depending on Him. Christianity is not just about the theology. It's not just about what you know. It's not just about the knowledge of, okay, I understand that God is my source, but it's also being put in those positions. It's being put in those moments where you have to take that knowledge and put it into practice. Same way at school, taking a test. You can learn all day long your, your, your alphabet or you can learn all day long uh, your math tables or whatever it is, but until you actually have to take the test to put that down on paper, then what you know is not proven. And so what the trials do is they force us to take what we know, what we have been taught, what we understand to be true, and actually play it out in our lives. And Paul says, look, we went through this, this situation that we were not prepared to handle. That It was way far beyond our strength. We were so burdened that we did not have the ability to handle this. We had to trust God, and God pulled us out. God was victorious. Whatever the situation is, God worked it out so that they were freed or released from it or moved on past it, that whatever the deadly peril was, that it did not, ultimately take their lives. But in that moment, they were forced to place their faith in Jesus. They were forced to trust Him. It reminds me, and these verses aren't going to be on the screen, but it reminds me of uh, Daniel. There were several times in Daniel's life where Daniel had to go from believing the things that he had been taught about God to when they were brought into Babylon actually living that out. From Daniel chapter 1, when Hiham and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, said they were not going to eat the king's meat and drink his wine because it went against the, uh, the, the law that God had given them. And so they, they asked for permission to only eat certain things so that their faith could be proven. In Daniel chapter 2, the the king is going to have all the wise men killed because uh, they could not tell him a dream. So they came to, to arrest basically Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they say, give us a night. And they pray and fast and ask God to move. And God moves and gives them the dream and the understanding of the dream. Daniel chapter 3, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are forced to either bow down before this great idol, be thrown into the furnace of fire. They stand firm. They say, you know what? This is what we believe about God, that He is strong enough to rescue us from your hand, O King. But even if He does not, we will not bow down and we will not worship. There is a difference in understanding truth and living that truth out. Now, first, we have to understand it. First, we have to know it. But then also, God puts us in those moments of trial so that we will, in turn, trust Him. So we will take what we know about Him, and we will put it into practice in our lives. So that's one of the purposes of trials, is not just to understand God as our source of strength, but to actually put that into practice and trust Him. And then third, to keep us focused on what is most important. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Paul says this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, that's our our flesh, our body, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says this momentary light affliction, whatever it is that we're going through, whatever the trial is, compared to what we have in Christ, compared to the promises that God has given us in Christ, compared to the eternity that we have waiting for us, he says it's a um, I don't want to get his words wrong. He says it's an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. The idea here is if you were to compare these, the momentary light affliction is basically like the weight of a feather while this eternal glory beyond all comprehension is like the weight of a two-ton Wait, that it is so far beyond each other that the comparison is not even a real comparison. And what we have for us waiting for us, what we have in God, what we have in Christ, what we have in the promises that he has given us is so far greater than anything that we could be going through in this life. So part of the pro- or the part of the purpose of a trial is to not just put us in the place where we know God's truth, where we practice God's truth, but it also helps us to keep our focus on God that instead of turning inward, instead of focusing on our problem, we in turn are reminded that God is our strength. Let me set my focus on Him. Let me look to the things that are eternal. Let me strive for the things that are eternal. The things that are temporary, they are transient. That's money, that's fame, that's greed, that's pride, that's sin, that's whatever exists in this world that does not last. That we should have our hope, we should have our focus, we should have the gaze of our heart set on the things that are eternal. That is God, that is Word, that is the soul's of men that is seeking to glorify Him and honor Him and love Him. And the purpose of trials is to make sure that our focus is being reset or set even more firmly on who God is and what He has done for us. Alright. Now I want us to look at three passages that deal with God's God's promise. That if we are going to trust Him, uh, that He has given us these promises, that He is our source of strength. So look at Psalm chapter 121. We're going Old Testament on these. Psalm 121. We'll look at verses 1 and 2. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I believe that this psalm, as the psalmist is crying out, as the psalm is writing this, as the psalmist is remembering this, I believe this is one It tells us, but also I believe it's a promise that God is our help. That God is our source. That that when we are in those moments where we don't know what to do, when we are in those moments that are too big for us, that God has promised throughout His Word. We've seen some in the New Testament. Here's the Old Testament. God has promised us that He is our help. That He is our source. That if we look to Him, that He is where our help comes from. The great thing for me about prayer is once I realize this, that, that in my prayers I don't have to be... I don't have to be creative. My language doesn't have to be a certain thing. It doesn't have to be uh, this kind of beautiful or or formulated uh, things that I'm saying to God. In my prayers, I can be absolutely honest to God. And I can go to God and say, God, here's how I'm being tempted. Or God, here's how the trial that I'm going through. Or God, uh, here's how I need your help. Or God, here's where I'm weak and I need you. Before that... I wouldn't go to God until after I had messed up or after I would failed. And then I would say, all right, God, I messed up. Uh, forgive me. Uh, help me do better next time. Or next time, I'll do better. Next time, I'll show you that I'm strong enough uh, to do better next time. When in reality, I don't believe that God wants us to try to prove to Him how good we are. He wants us to come to Him and say, God, I need You. You have to be my source. You have to be my help. I understand my weaknesses. I understand my frailties. I understand the 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 the, the situation that I'm in. And I cannot do this on my own. God has to be our source of help. God has to be our source of strength. And He has promised that He would be. Next, let's look at uh, Psalm 46. Psalm 46, we'll look at verses 1 through 3. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, uh, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now, in verses 2 and 3, the psalmist paints this picture of basically um, the worst destruction that the earth could go through. He's talking about the foundations will be shooken. The mountains will fall into the sea. The waters will roar. The mountains will tremble. That that in the worst circumstances imaginable, in the worst situations imaginable, God is my refuge and my strength. A very present, a very uh, real help in trouble. That He is with us. Two things that I really kind of want us to look at here, the refuge and strength. You know, we've talked about how ref- God is our strength, how God is our, our source of power, that God is our source of health. That's what Paul was talking about when he's talking about how I'll boast in my weaknesses because when I'm weak, then I'm strong, because we're trusting in God's strength. But I want us to think about this, too, that not only does the psalmist call him his strength, but he also calls God his refuge. A refuge is, is not a place of battle. A refuge is a place of resting. A refuge is a place to hide. A refuge is a place that when everything is too intense outside, you've got a place to go and sit and to hide and to stay safe. We often think of God as our strength, but I don't know how often we think of God as our refuge and the fact of when we go through these trials, we don't have to to muscle up and prove to God how great we are. In fact, God has said, I am your refuge, that we can go to God and we can sit and we can rest and we can admit our weakness and we can trust Him for strength. And we can kind of have this moment in prayer and in God's Word where we're sitting there with God, understanding our weakness, understanding our frailty, and knowing that we can't can't go outside necessarily to handle everything on our own because if we do and our world is being destroyed, we need someone bigger than us to fix all of that. And he lets us rest in him. He lets us trust him. He lets us uh, find our strength in him. That I believe that God even gives us the grace to say sometimes, God, I can't handle this and I need just a moment to sit back and and I need a refuge. I need a resting place. I need a hiding place. I need a spot that I can just find solitude in, and that is you. So often we think, especially in our kind of American culture, that we've got to kind of go out guns ablazing, blazing and and show uh, our might or our strength or our boldness. And yes, there are times when God calls us to be bold and do that. But there's also times when God calls us to, to, to find a refuge. There's times when God calls us to sit back and say, you know what? I've just got to stop and I've got to rest. I've got to, to trust God. I've got to, to seek God's wisdom. I've got to, to find my strength in Him. And that means I can't run out guns ablazing Right now, I've got to sit in this refuge. I've got to sit kind of in this, this, this God-shaped cave to find my strength and to find my rest and to, to just recognize my weakness and recognize His strength. And then thirdly, strength is found when we recognize God has not left us. And we patiently trust in Him. Flip over to Isaiah chapter 40. This will be our last passage that we look at. Common verses are verses that that most of us uh, have heard multiple times and know. But we'll look at chapter 40 of Isaiah verses 27 through 31. Isaiah 40, 27 through 31, it says this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. So basically, here's the situation there. Whatever the situation, they're saying, look, God has forgotten us. My way is hidden. God's not looking at my life. God God has forgotten my life. God has forgotten the situation that I'm in. God does not care about me. God is not looking at me. My life has gotten so bad that surely God is not involved anymore. Verse 28. Have you not known... They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. The situation that they're in, whatever it is, they're saying, oh, God has forgotten our way. God does not know what's going on. God has left us. And the author, or Isaiah, says, have you not known, have you not heard The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, and His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. Do you not know who your God is? Do you not know that God has not forgotten you? God has given you promises, and God cannot lie. And if God has promised that He's going to be with you, then no matter what the situation of your life might look like, no matter what this momentary light affliction that you might be going through, no matter how painful it feels, no matter how heavy it feels, under Understand that God has not left you. God is still there. You might not see it right now. You might not understand it right now. But understand that God is there. And if you wait on Him, if you trust in Him, then He will renew your strength to mount up like an eagle. That you will no longer be, be suffering. You will no longer be sitting there under this weight. But God will bring freedom in some form, in some capacity, as you go through this process of trusting Him and waiting on Him and looking to Him, as you allow these trials to fix your focus on Him for who He is and what He has done, then then God will bring you through this time with strength and with energy, with a newfound freedom, with a newfound understanding of who He is and the strength to trust Him even more the next time you find yourself in a difficult situation. That our strength is found when we recognize who God is, when we recognize that God does not leave us, that God always keeps his promises, when we patiently trust in him, when we wait on him, when we don't try to do things in our own ability, when we don't say, I've got this, I'm strong enough, I'm good enough, I'm bad enough, I can, I can handle all of this on my own. Instead of that, when we say, No, I can't do that, when we're like Paul in that first uh 2 Corinthians chapter 1 passage where he says, Look, it was so strong that there's no way we could handle this. We did not have the strength and we thought that we were going to die. When we understand our weakness before God, that is when we are strong. So know when we're going through trials, no matter what it is, we don't tell ourselves and we don't tell other people, look, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Because in reality, God does give us more than handle. All these verses have shown us that God gives us so much more that we can handle sometimes. And the reason is because God wants us to understand that we can't handle it, but he can. We can't handle it, but the God who created the universe, the God who loved us enough to send his son, the God who calls us sons and daughters, loves us enough that he's going to handle it, all we have to do is trust in him. Understand that we are weak and he is strong. So no, we don't tell people that you can handle this or that God won't give you more than you can handle because that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that, yeah, sometimes God does give us more than handle, but He does so because He wants us to see how great He is. He wants us to see how strong He is, and He wants us to trust Him, and He wants us to allow Him to build our faith and to strengthen our faith so that we can trust Him even more the next time a trial comes our way. So we can trust Him more the next time He gives us an opportunity to minister on His behalf. So we can stand in boldness when we're talking to someone who's questioning their faith or questioning salvation. And we can say, look, I've experienced what God's Word says. I can tell you that my God is real. That I've experienced it in my weakest moments. I have seen His strength. So yes, it matters what we tell people. It matters what we say. And the whole reason that I want to do this series, and not just so we can kind of have a neat little thing to talk about, but I want us to understand that when we move away from God's Word, whether we're moved by emotions, whether we're moved because we just want to say something nice to somebody, when it moves away from God's Word, then man, we move away from some powerful stuff. Because if we tell someone that, look, you're good enough, trust in your own strength, then man, they miss out on everything that we've just read about trusting in the greatness and the goodness and the strength of God. And so we want to make sure that we are guided, that we are led, that we are directed by God's Word and truth and not anything else. Even if it's good intentions, we are led, we are guided, we base our lives on God's Word. Not emotions, not culture, uh, not even kind words. But we stand on what God's Word says.